This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, Weekend Warriors of Michigan Politics and Government. Remember last week, we talked about a proposal to amend Michigan's Constitution to protect the privacy of electronic records of our citizens and businesses. We said it would probably be the only proposal on the November 3rd general election ballot. In a related development, a petition drive aimed not at getting on the ballot, but at gaining legislative approval failed this week. This proposal to outlaw second trimester abortions through a procedure called dilation and extraction or evacuation has been withdrawn by its sponsors, Right to Life of Michigan, after failing to file a sufficient number of petition signatures to present it to the legislature. Still another proposal to add LGBTQ rights to the state's Elliot Larson Civil Rights Act is still struggling through petition signatures to qualify for the ballot. The odds are against it, but stay tuned. The other big news this week was the agreement struck between the Republican-controlled legislature and Governor Gretchen Whitmer to fill a $2.2 billion hole in this year's budget for the fiscal year ending this coming September 30th. Minority Democrats were all in favor of the agreement as well. Everybody was happy. It's almost a miracle, considering the acrimony between the Whitmer administration and lawmakers on almost any other issue you can name. But now they'll have to do it all over again for next year's budget covering the fiscal year from this coming October 1st through September 30th of next year. Obviously, they will have to depend on a lot more help from Washington to get that done. Now, In other news this week, Republican legislators talked about seeking to override some vetoes by Governor Gretchen Whitmer that we discussed last week. But Democrats, who would need to provide four votes in the Senate and 15 votes in the House for overrides to succeed, indicated they would not cooperate. Well... The Republican majority did try on one of Big Gretch's vetoes, and it failed for the reason I just cited. No Democrats cooperated. This was a bill to provide whistleblower protection for state employees. The bill's sponsor is State Senator Tom Barrett, a Republican from Charlotte, And he said there are many reasons an employee might want to contact a member of the legislature to report illegal activity, to get help with a state government issue, to improve or question a process in state government, or to advocate their personal position on legislation, among others. Barrett said, I'm quoting here, employees should not fear retribution from their employer, whatever their reason for contacting the legislature, unquote. Now, let me just note that the Michigan Whistleblower Protection Act was created 40 years ago to protect employees from retribution if they report their employer to a public body for violation of a law, rule, or regulation. 
the Protection Act that I just cited applies to all public and private employees except state classified civil service employees. Barrett's bill would have ended that exemption. Now, the other veto attempt, the Republicans decided not to even try to override. It involved a group of bills that would defer summer property tax payments and allow counties to borrow through the state to cover the cost. Amazingly, the bills passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. One bill passed the House 108 to nothing, and the Senate passed it 33 to 4, the other bill with almost exactly the same margin in each chamber. The sponsor of the bills, Representative James Lauer, a Republican from Greenville, said if he starts over and reintroduces the bills in order to fix what Democrats are calling technicalities, property tax bills will start to come due as early as July 31st, but a new bill could not meet that deadline. Nevertheless, he is trying again with a new set of bills that the House and Senate started taking up this week. Now, many of our listeners may be wondering, if legislators of both parties voted for something and voted almost unanimously for it, why would they not vote to override a governor's veto? After all, both our federal and state constitutions contain language that provides checks and balances between the executive branch, which means the president or a governor, and the legislative branch either the Congress or, in our case, the Michigan legislature. It requires only a simple majority to pass a bill, but if the executive vetoes it and the legislature still believes it is a concept that should be law, it requires a two-thirds majority to override that veto and make that bill a public act. In Michigan, Republicans have a simple majority in both the state house and Senate. That means 50% plus one. But by themselves, they cannot override a Whitmer veto. They need some Democratic votes. Well, that should be pretty easy, right? Virtually every Democrat in both chambers voted with the Republicans on both the tax relief bills and the Barrett whistleblower protection bill. Maybe on the tax bills, Democrats in the legislature could rationalize their failure to provide votes to override by claiming that Whitmer raised some valid reasons why she vetoed the bills that they had not thought of. But in the case of the Barrett bill, everyone knows what that is all about. The bill has passed the legislature before and has been vetoed by a governor before. Nothing in Whitmer's veto message provided any new information that every member of her party in the legislature did not already know. So the reason veto override attempts almost always fail is because partisan loyalty carries the day. It's a party's leader, and this could be a Democrat or a Republican, if a party's leader says no, then her or her party members in the legislature almost never cross her. They will not embarrass her by giving the opposition party a victory through a veto override. Plus, a governor or president has numerous ways of exacting 
revenge on a lawmaker who fails to support her decision. Some lawmakers never again get another bill signed into law. Some, after they are term limited, can expect no job from Governor Whitmer in her administration to keep their political careers going. See what I mean? Democrats in the legislature have suddenly forgotten that they ever cast votes to provide tax relief to businesses injured by the governor's executive orders. Did they really cast such a vote? It's not even something they want to acknowledge as an issue anymore. Likewise, why shouldn't a governor be allowed to muzzle members of her administration from talking to legislators if that's what Big Gretch wants? There, my friends, is the truth. And that's why the legislature is often called the sapless branch. Now, finally, next week, I want to just give notice. We're going to make our fearless forecast. That's right. We did this last year. I'll predict winners and key races in the August 4th primary election all around the state. These predictions will focus on Democratic and Republican contests for the State House of Representatives and Congress. No. We won't make predictions in all 14 U.S. House districts or 110 state representative districts because most of the results in those contests are pretty well known because of partisan domination in each district. But as far as I know, the Political Insider, this program is the only place you're going to hear those predictions. Last year, we did pretty well. And picking winners, and by the way, that's what we're trying to do. These are not endorsements or estimates of who the best candidate is. It's simply a prognostication. I'll be back in a minute with our first guest. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned with a subject that we haven't really discussed much on this program over the last two years, but which deserves a lot of attention. I have got to admit, I am not a big fan of the concept of climate change, but I've got to acknowledge that here in Michigan, our winters have been getting much milder over the last couple of decades. Our great lakes sea levels have been rising at an alarming rate. There is flooding going on, and we are in a world of hurt, it looks like. And I think there's a fear in the population that maybe the earth is going to become uninhabitable, or Michigan anyway. And that's even worse, because we live here. But we have got somebody as a guest right now, Sankarshan Das, who has a lot to say about this subject of climate anxiety. Sunker Shandas is a spiritual master in the Hare Krishna movement. Sunker Shandas, thank you for being our guest. I'm just delighted to be here. Absolutely delighted. Well, I just want to ask you, how do you look at the state of Michigan uh, and the situation we're in in terms of climate change? Well, I'm seeing here how in, back in August of 2014, there was heavy rains uh, led to 
nearly 10 billion gallons of sewer, sewer overflow. That's shocking. A lot of it ended up in Lake St. Clair and eventually in Lake Erie. I mean, this is, you got some heavy problems going on there with this climate change in, in Michigan. I mean, 10 billion gallons of sewage spilling out. I mean, that's horrible. I mean, it's, this stuff is not healthy. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> well, is it going to get any better? It seems to me it's getting worse. You mentioned oh, 2000. I tell you right now, the way things were heading, things are getting worse and worse. That's the sad reality of the environment on our planet right now. Things are getting worse and worse. And they're not solving the problems. Our leaders are not solving the problems. They're not. Why are they not solving the problems? Why not? Well, it gets down to the whole basic uh, issue that um, – why are we have why is this external environment so much disrupted we have we also have psychological disruption all these riots going on now um, see these things are all the psych, psychology uh, the the mental plane and the physical plane are connected with each other so we have uh, leaders who are not putting the interest of the people first they're interested in their own uh, self aggrandizement and uh, as long as somebody's in that mood of just taking care of themselves more than taking care of the general situation, we're not going to have any real improvements in this environment. It's a fact. Well, let me ask you, before we get to what they might do that would make a difference, does it make any difference what our leaders might do? Let's say they got all in on the subject of climate change, combating it, uh, doing everything that they can, the Green New Deal, the whole shebang, would it it make any difference? Isn't there some cosmic mother nature out there that just decides this is the weather we're giving these people on Earth and there's not going to really be anything ultimately they can do about it? Well, unless they really, unless we get to really the root cause of the environmental problems, uh, all these, uh, you know, it's like you go to the doctor, right, and you have some symptoms, of your sickness, and he gives you some medicine to cover your symptoms, but it doesn't really cure the disease. And what good is it? The, you may cover the symptoms, and you may think you're getting better, but actually you're not getting better. You might even die from it. So the real thing is we have to get to the root cause of all the, the problems that are going on here as individuals, and as our, and we should, you know, we should have such leaders who are also willing to get down to the root cause of all the environmental and sociological problems we're facing on the planet now. So what is the root cause? I mean, how can our leaders and the entire population combat climate change and climate anxiety by attacking the root cause of the problem? Well, this, is, that, this climate is just one of the symptoms of a human society which is not is out of sync. Just look at all the species out there. You've got the, you know, you got the monkeys, the elephants. Uh, you've got the birds, the fish. They're all living in perfect harmony with nature. Every one, every, it's only the human being who's not living in harmony with nature. We're the ones who are screwing it up. Of all the species out there, we're the only one who is screwing it up. So we have to see, we can learn something from actually the, the animals and the plants, how they're living in perfect harmony with nature and how we're not. They're just, they're taking, see, we're trying to just completely exploit everything for our own enjoyment. We're not considering the well-being of all living entities. That's the problem. I can't disagree with you, but the question is, what do we have to do to change our behavior uh, and acknowledge we've got a major problem and we've got to have a whole different mindset from what we've been doing? 
Well, what I have to understand there's a supreme order. There's a disorder happening. More and more disorder and chaos is breaking loose. But there's an underlying harmony and order that's behind the whole thing. We've got to get be back in sync with that underlying harmony and order. That really has to be done. We have to resynchronize ourselves with that source of the whole existence. You see, some people may call that religion or spirituality, but there's actually, we're not talking about sectarianism here, but there's actually a supreme person out there who's behind the whole thing and orchestrating everything, and we have to get back in harmony with that supreme person who's the, the uh, supreme orchestrator of everything. It's, I used to play in the, uh, in the orchestra violin when I was a kid. So we had a conductor, and if we all follow the conductor, then things went great. And I was playing second violin, you know, but... For bowing away there, but uh, if, if if you're following the conductor, then everything is good. But we have there's actually a supreme conductor out there behind everything, but uh, we're not in we're not following the supreme conductor. We're all doing our own thing, and it's complete chaos. Just imagine an orchestra; everybody plays their own thing and doesn't follow the conductor. That's our modern day society. Well, isn't one of the problems that uh, different people or groups have different concepts of who the supreme leader is? And they that's, can't get their yeah, act And then you get into what's called sectarianism, you see. We have to get to the root cause of That's uh, the big problem. You have all these religious wars because people are not really understanding the, the, the science of the absolute. They're, not, not, they're, they're taking it on some superficial level uh, to put themselves forward or other, other people. That's the problem. They exploit that idea of a supreme person or God for their own personal sense gratification. We have to get to a level of selflessness. We want to harmonize with that. Whether you see, whether you call him Allah, Krishna, Jehovah, whatever you call him, there's God is unlimited names. So if you can somehow understand my my actual healthy position is to have a loving relationship with that supreme person who has unlimited names, unlimited qualities. Whether well, it doesn't matter whether I, call, I do it as a Christian, as a Jew, a Sikh, a Jain, or whatever. A Muslim, I have to get to that loving relationship with that supreme person who has unlimited names and unlimited qualities. If we can learn how to synchronize and clean up our own psychological environments by harmonizing with that supreme person, then we're going to see a tremendous transformation of the sociological situation and the environmental situation. So that's what I'm pushing. Personally, myself, with my teaching, I got I got. Uh, 26,000 people on my, uh, my, are getting daily broadcasts from me, the Ultimate Self-Realization Course. So I'm teaching people how to reharmonize, whether you're a Christian, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, a Sikh, a Jew, or a Muslim, but there's a supreme person out there that we need to harmonize with. Okay, we are going to get back in a minute with Sankar Shandas to find out how we reharmonize. We'll take a break, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Sankarshan Das, who is a spiritual master with the Hare Krishna movement. And we are talking about climate change and climate anxiety. And Sankarshan Das was telling us just before the break that people have got to reharmonize. They have got to start following the supreme leader, the conductor, whoever that is, whether it's yeah. God or Allah or whoever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I want to ask you, how do we reharmonize? Well, the the, uh, 
we learn from the ancient Vedic wisdom what's called the science of mantra. Mantra means sound vibration. Man means mind, and chum means deliver. So the science of mantra, which can be practiced as a, as a, a Muslim can chant Allah, a Christian can chant Christ, a, a, you know, a Hare Krishna can chant Hare Krishna, uh, a, a Buddhist can chant Buddha. The idea is that the science of mantra has a very power. We've, we encourage everybody to, according to your own, uh, you know, whatever you're into, to take a name of that supreme absolute, according to your tradition, and make it a daily meditation. You can, you can get up in the morning, uh, and you can, if you make it audible, like, you know, like we do, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare, you make it audible, and then you just totally go into it, just dive deep, deep into it, as in a tremendous reharmonizing effect on your consciousness. So we recommend everybody to do that. You know, according, if you have nothing else, and the Om is there, you see, take some name that connects to that supreme absolute person, and and uh, chant it on a regular daily basis. So you're saying and give up bad habits like that are not good for the environment. You see, like bad habits like what? Well, the meat eating, the meat industry is a very. Uh, we really recommend people to. to uh, we personally, we are completely vegetarians. We totally give up meat. Uh, meat is a very, very polluting uh, uh, and very psychologically polluting, murdering all those innocent animals and physically polluting also all the, the slaughterhouses. So we recommend that, that we, the people give up this meat-eating business and go to a vegetarian diet. And as many, it's, it's certainly there. A lot of, there's a lot of veggie burger places out there now. People are getting more and more into it. But the vegetarian diet is a very helpful to, to have a better, uh, more meaningful meditation. Beyond vegetarianism, is there anything else we should be doing in our daily habits? Instead of instead of getting high on liquor, get high on the mantra. It's a much better high. It doesn't it doesn't <laughs> rot your liver, and you, you don't have automobile accidents. We also give up intoxication, um, eating intoxication, and we don't have promiscuous sexual activities. Also, making every girl in the block pregnant. We just uh, you know we get married, and we, we don't have a kid. We have some sex life. But we you regulate your sexual activities, and you give up promiscuous sexual activities, give up intoxication, meat eating, and uh, and and then do this meditation. You'll have a tremendous high you'll experience it every minute actually you can get to a place where you're you have a natural high 24 hours a day so if you connect with the science of mantra and you meditate every day if you're saying everybody stop the music right now and started meditating every day um how long should they meditate and you say they ought to do it uh not just thinking but they ought to be speaking and talking yeah, out loud audible. We- we audibly chant. Well, uh, anything is good. We personally, uh, our tradition is we chant on prayer beads at, at one or two hours every morning. Actually, I chant about an hour every morning. Just for a whole mo- about an hour, I just go, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. About an hour every day, I do. So, but anything is good to get started. And once you get into it, you just want to get into it more. It's like it's like somebody likes to go water skiing. They'll get into it more, you see. So once you actually get into this chanting thing, you may just start off for five minutes a day. Then you go, wow, that was great. Let me do ten. So it's it's really intoxicating. Once you get into it, you don't want to do it more and more and more. So we recommend at least do five or ten minutes to begin with of chanting the names of God. 
I would say Muslims actually are ahead of most of the rest of the human race, aren't they? Because don't they do a lot of praying every day compared to, let's say, Christians or Buddhists or others? There's certainly, uh, yeah, they have that tradition. And uh, traditionally, also, they weren't into heavy meat eating either, all that's changed now. But, yeah, they do a lot of, uh, of praying at the fair. It's so uh, let's say you combine daily meditation with giving up these terrible habits that human beings have adopted almost as narcotics against pain, such as excessive liquor consumption. We can create a heavenly atmosphere on this planet where the atmosphere, be, the, be, the weather becomes beautiful, uh, all these environmental problems go away. We can actually turn this planet into a paradise. It's like the Garden of Eden. If we all start meditating on the names of God and give up sinful activities, we can make a paradise on this planet. And this is what I'm pushing and trying to do with my life, trying to encourage and push this for idea forward. Do you think our leaders should be encouraging everybody in their populations to do this? Sometimes they are. I got a nice letter uh, President, I'm a songwriter also, and I write songs about this, too. And my song, The Peace Formula, which is based on the ancient Vedic wisdom, I sent that off to President Obama. He really loved it. He wrote me back a wonderful letter. So sometimes it's uh, they do appreciate it. Of course, they haven't, he may not have done anything, but at least the appreciation was there. Yeah, you said you were a singer-songwriter, and I think, didn't you appear on stage between Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead at one point? Oh, yeah, I was uh, I was one of the hippie singer-songwriters of that year. I I, uh, I shared the stage of the Airplane and the Dead. I wrote, I was a big sensation at the University of Texas campus during the uh, countercultural era in 1970. They used to call me the campus minstrel. I was uh, a... <laughs> A big sensation on the University of Texas campus in those days. That's fantastic. It, it was your song, The Peace Formula, that was praised by President Obama? Well, I wrote, yeah, that's the one he liked, yeah, The Peace Formula, yeah. Well, let's say Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump and, uh, you know, anybody and everybody you could think of, Boris Johnson and Great Britain, they all chimed in with what you are recommending right now and gave speeches. We could create a paradise on this planet. If all these leaders will take my guidance uh, on, on how to 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 uh, see everything and to adjust everything, we can make a paradise on this planet. I, I request all these leaders to get in touch with me um, and send me an email and uh, sd at worldleader.com. sd at worldleader.com. I encourage all the leaders to get in touch with me. There's any listeners also welcome to write me. I'm happy to guide anybody how they can reharmonize with the source of all existence. How long would it take when people start meditating and giving up their bad habits for a change to be felt? It can be actually it can be felt immediately. So you think it would get better and better every day after it's felt immediately? It can. It, it, you, there's immediate, if one actually sincerely vibrates the names of God, giving up sinful activities, you feel an immediate upliftment of consciousness. And then it just keeps growing and growing and growing from there unendingly expanding. So, in other words, somebody could start giving up these bad habits and meditating, and individually they probably would experience a vast sudden improvement. And have the best day of their, they have the best day of their life every day. And, and then if more and more people did that and the word got around, this is what happens and it spreads, right. then it would uh, create a situation altogether where the, where the whole planet can become transformed. That's what I'm trying to do right now. 
And I appreciate you getting me on the air to give me a chance to get the word out. Well, that's all right. And and if the climate, uh, you know, if everything in the in the world improves because of what you're saying, you're thinking the climate will actually get better. I mean, in other words, the absolutely, yeah. Actually, the the climate is um, will definitely improve. There's actually controlling deities behind the climate, and they're under the they're working underneath the supreme uh, controller. They're just, they're, we're getting, actually, we're getting karmic reactions. This bad weather is karmic reactions for all of our impious activities, actually. It's karma. It's all karma, all this bad weather. Wow. We could, we could keep talking about this. Uh, I, I worry a little bit of, that there are going to be some miscreants out there, uh, Senkershan, who will not abide by what everybody else is doing, and they're going to cause problems and how we deal with them. That's, that's, that's a natural thing. That's the material for you. <laughs> I know. Well, listen, Sankarshan Das, I want to thank you very much. Spiritual master with Hare Krishna. You did a great job of explaining your ideas on how climate anxiety is linked to personal behavior and worldview. And if we can just change, things will get better a lot quicker. Absolutely. We can make a paradise on this planet. Let's do it. Okay. Thank you so much, Sankarshan Das. We'll be Thank back you, in a Thank you, Ballinger. Love you. Thank we'll you. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back. And very fortunate to have on the other line with us Todd Spangler, the Washington correspondent for the Detroit Free Press. Welcome, Todd. Thanks for having me, Bill. Hope you're well. I am doing well, and uh, our listeners will feel even better after you tell them what you know about these races in the primary August 4th in the 3rd, 10th, 13th, 8th, and 11th congressional districts. We got we got quite a few, quite a few races. Not as, they're not as many barn burners as we had in 2018. Clearly, when we ended up, you know, the Democrats ended up flipping a couple of suburban seats. But the marquee race this time really seems to be the one in the 13th, which is Rashida Tlaib against again Brenda Jones. It'll be the fourth time they've run against each other in two years um, because you have the two primaries in 18. You have. The, and then there's a write-in candidate, uh, Brenda Jones, ran the city council president. Detroit ran again against uh, against uh, Tlaib and lost. And so that's that's your big race. The fact of the matter is, is that it looks like it's going to be difficult for Brenda Jones, despite being city council president in Detroit, to win. Tlaib's name recognition is huge. She's got a ton of cash. She just put out a very professionally looking uh, ad in, in the market, and. It just looks like it's going to be tough to beat her in a primary. Now, that, that's not to say it couldn't be done. I mean, you know, that, that, you know, Brenda Jones has real deep ties with the black community in Detroit. If she can turn out those voters, who knows what happens here, but it really looks like it, it's played to, to lose. Um, the other big race, I mean, the other two big races in this are going to end up being the third out in West Michigan and the tenth, you know, in Macomb and up in the Thumb. And in that race, very interesting three-way race going on between state rep Shane Hernandez of Port Huron, who's gotten the endorsement from the sitting congressman, Paul Mitchell, uh, Lisa McLean, who's a businesswoman and who's really seems to be turning up a lot of energy, a lot of yard signs. Um, she's really out there a lot. 
really pushing pushing to win this thing and seems to be getting a lot of traction. And then you have Doug Slocum, retired brigadier general who ran Selfridge, the Air National Guard base in Harrison Township. Normal cycle. You'd think he would be the person who would jump to the top here, but really it seems like it's a race between Hernandez and, um, and McLean. But i got to tell you, like you and I are talking about sometime in the recent past, you wonder about that race up in the first a few years back when Jason Allen and Tom Casperson, who were the favorites, sort of split the ticket, and Jack Bergman, who nobody knew, sort of ran between them, ends up as a congressman. He's still, he's still in Congress. Um, the other big race, whoever wins that, by the way, the 10th is a Republican district. Whoever wins that Republican primary is probably going to end up being the congressperson, almost definitely. Then out in the 3rd district where Justin Amash, Donald Trump's main, maybe only formerly Republican, you know, uh, 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 adversary in Congress, is stepping down. You've got a Republican primary out there with Peter Meyer, whose you know, family you know, owns the, the grocery store chain, young guy, uh, uh, conservative, former you know, a war veteran, running against village, a Sand Lake Village president, uh, Tom Norton, who's very, very pro-Trump, state rep Lynn Avendoulis of Grand Rapids. Um, it looks like it's Myers to lose. He's got plenty of name recognition, you know, but again, it's crowded race. There's two other people in that GOP primary as well, but lesser known. Who knows if it splits a kind of certain way, but it looks like it's Myers to lose. Um, those are the big races. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's primaries going on for the 11th district and the 8th district, which are those, those, those ones that got flipped by the Democrats, Haley Stevens and Alyssa Slotkin, two years ago. But really with some lesser-known candidates, not clear how well those, those candidates will end up playing in the general because both Stevens and Slotkin got a ton of cash, ton of name recognition. And that may also depend partially on what the top of the ticket, i.e. President Trump does in Michigan, which right now looks like it, it's Joe Biden to, to lose. That's sort of where those races are. How about in the 8th and the 11th? Now, these are in Oakland County. The 8th, you mentioned, that's a Slotkin seat. And the 11th is Haley Stevens. Um, in the Republican primaries, there are multiple candidates. I mean, maybe none of them have name recognition or much money right now. But uh, who does it look like might win those primaries? Do you have any idea? Right. The sense that I get um, in the 8th, start with the 8th, which runs from, you know, northern Oakland County, you know, through Livingston and Ingham, it's a weird district because you got, you know, you have an Oakland County group, you've got a sort of changing suburban group in Livingston County, which is largely rural, and you got, you know, you got, you got Michigan State, you got, you know, a really sort of liberal core there. So whether any of these candidates could move on, it looks like Paul Young, uh, former news anchor in Lansing, went away, worked as a prosecutor, worked for the Trump administration um, as, a, as, a, as a spokesperson in D.C., came back to the district, he looks to hit some of the right, you know, uh, notes for Republicans in that district. It's very hard to tell. Uh, you know, he might, he, he might be the person who appears to be, you know, leading, leading the group. Um, again, nobody there's got a ton of money. There's not a ton of advertising going on. He might be your guy. In the, in the 11th district, which is Western Wayne County and that other part of Oakland County, um, Dave Trott used to, to represent that step down in 18, won by Haley Stevens last time. It also happened to be Ronna McDaniel's district, the, the chairwoman of the National Republican Party. Um, hard to say there's a lawyer, Eric Ashaki, 
who seems like he has traction, again, hits kind of the right notes. He's a member of the Chaldean community, which is big in that part of, of, of the state. Um, you know, he's, he's conservative. He seems to be running a good campaign. You know, could have an edge there. But then again, it's a crowded field. You have a former congressman, Kerry Benavolio, who was voted out of office, you know, in a primary against Trot a few years back making yet another run. He hasn't fared too well in his past runs when he's tried to get back to the office. You have Carmelita Greco, who's a newcomer, um, moved back in, back back to Michigan recently. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, whether how well she's known, she's trying to hit very, very hard messages of patriotism and country, but doesn't really have much of a political background. At this point, you'd have to think a shockey has some kind of edge there. But again, crowded field, who knows what happens. Going into 2018, both the 8th and 11th were thought of as being marginally Republican, and they were represented by Republicans, Mike Bishop and uh, David Trott, as you mentioned. Uh, Then, of course, the sun, the moon, and the stars fell on the Republicans in 2018, and there was a big Democratic blue wave, and Haley Stevens and Alyssa Slotkin won. They had a lot of money, and they had a lot of energy, but... Are things trending in those two districts, Democratic, in such a way that you think now it's beyond the reach of the Republicans? Any one of these candidates, particularly, let's say, Paul Young and Eric Shockey, to win it? Well, my, my, my belief is that um, whoever the Republicans are in these, in these races clearly will try to mark Stevens and Slotkin as being far too willing to vote with Nancy Pelosi and, you know, AOC and the more liberal wing of the party when they ran as moderate. So they're going to have to pull that back somewhat to convince those marginal districts that they are moderates and not, you know, liberal, liberal Democrats. Both of them have money to do that. They both have taken votes that should suggest they can, they, can, they can make that, you know. And much of this is going to end up being nationalized and really about Trump versus, Trump versus Biden. To answer your original question, though, Bill, I don't think that those districts are necessarily uh, Democratic. Total, I mean, they're going to remain Democratic column regardless of what happens. There are still plenty of Republican voters in both of those districts that could switch it depending on the candidate and depending on the cycle. I think that whether that was going to happen this year or not was going to depend largely on the top of the ticket and the, really the how well-placed those candidates were. I think with redistricting coming up in Michigan in next year, I think with a lot of bigger names staying out of these races, and you don't see any former state legislators getting into these races, you know, as you normally would if you thought it was, it was, it was really going to be turned. And I think a lot of that is uncertainty what's going to happen at the top of the ticket, uncertainty what's going to happen with, with redistricting. Let's wait. Let's see what happens next time. But I do think that, you know, if these two districts were to remain where they are, it's possible that in the future they could be turned back. Yeah, we should mention this is the last time you're ever going to see these districts (laughs) because there's going to be a reapportionment coming up and Michigan is going to lose a congressional seat. And there's a lot of speculation that the 8th and the 11th may be mushed together. And then you might have Haley Stevens and Alyssa Slotkin having to run against each other if they decide to in 2022, if they're still there, right? 
Absolutely. It could happen. You know, don't know how those districts are going to end up looking. Exactly. Well, listen, Todd Spangler, you have done a great job of laying out what's going on in those key congressional districts on August 4th. Thank you so much, Todd Spangler, who is Washington correspondent for the Detroit Free Press. Bill, take care. Same to you. Keep up the good work. We'll be back next week with our fearless forecast on the winners on August 4th. Don't miss it.